Welcome to WFEV's What's What. It's Wednesday, July 13th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores everything from current events to culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Addison Colombo. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Coming up, we'll have some features from reporters, but now let's get started with the headlines. New York City is known for the arts, food, and culture, but also unfortunately for being pretty dirty. Over the last few months, trash has been piling up and people have taken notice. In a recent poll, Time Out magazine ranked New York as the second dirtiest city in the world. Rome took the number one spot, with number three going to Glasgow, Scotland. But Eric Adams recently made it a priority to give the streets a good scrub down. A dirty street just really impacts everything we do. And so we heard the complaints loud and clear, and we are responding to the complaints on the ground because a clean city is a city that we are really concerned about. He says there'll be new trash bins to reduce garbage pileups on the sidewalks and to hopefully curb the rat population. The city has invested $11 million in new street-sweeping vehicles and brought back alternate side parking. Speaking of city plans, the Manhattan Borough president announced that his office is giving the green light to congestion pricing. The plan, which has been stalled for the last few months, would increase prices for cars entering Lower Manhattan. That's right. The price hike would limit the number of cars in the city and raise money to fix public transportation. The goal is to raise $1 billion for New York City Transit, with 80% of this plan going to subway improvements and 20% going to commuter rails. I'm sure most people have heard this song, Hotel California by the Eagles. But what about what happened to its lyrics? In the 70s, 100 pages of notes and lyrics from the Eagles co-founder Don Henley were stolen. These music artifacts were valued at a million dollars and include notes from the band and lyrics to their hits Hotel California and Life in the Fast Lane. Recently, these lyrics have turned up again when three men tried to sell the pages at auction houses. The men have been charged with conspiracy and criminal possession. They pled not guilty, but if convicted, they could face up to four years in prison. 4,000 beagles are looking for new homes after being rescued from the Invigo breeding facility in Virginia. Documents found during inspections show evidence of harmful conditions for the dogs, including insufficient food, inadequate medical care, and other abuses. The dogs are now waiting to be sent to shelters all over the country to find new homes. Maybe some of these dogs will end up in New York City shelters. Maybe they will. It's the 25th anniversary of Oasis's album, Be Here Now. And they're celebrating by announcing a re-recording of select hits off the album set to drop in August. Originally released in 1997, the album featured the song Do You Know What I Mean, which hit number one on the UK charts. That was Do You Know What I Mean. The recording will be featured as a silver-colored double heavyweight LP and a double-pictured disc and cassette, all with remastered audio. When most of us sit down to type out an email or a quick assignment, we're using a laptop or computer. But some New Yorkers prefer a more retro routine. Gramercy Typewriter Company is New York City's one-stop shop for typewriter repairs and purchases. WFUV's Abby Delk visited the store in Chelsea to learn more about why New Yorkers still want typewriters. My name is Hudson McFan, and I'm the store manager here at Gramercy Typewriter Company. I got my first typewriter when I was in high school and it was this wonderful gift, and I had never used a typewriter before. And I just fell in love with it instantly. And in the years later, I started to encounter the occasional issue with the typewriter. So I tried to start teaching myself how to fix typewriters. 
I learned a little bit here and there and eventually discovered Gramercy Typewriter Company uh, in New York. And I got to know uh, the owners a little bit from coming in as a customer. And when the opportunity presented itself to, to work here, I jumped at the opportunity. And since then, I've been able to uh, train more and, and learn how to, to fix machines, learn more about their history, and it's been, it's been a wonderful experience. And do you still have your first typewriter, or have you gotten new ones since then? Uh, sadly, I don't. Um, but, but I gave it to a good friend of mine. And uh, it, was, it was a big typewriter, and I was moving a lot, and just I, I, it was a little heavy to, <laughs> to carry around. Um, but, uh, but I've replaced it and have, have many other typewriters now that I enjoy using. How many typewriters do you have? I've, I've lost track, to be honest. <laughs> I think I have about 45 typewriters. Really? <laughs> it's gotten a little out of hand. But when you're around them you know, all the time, and we see such interesting things here in the store, um, sometimes when you think you found the last typewriter, something else you know that's really interesting and intriguing um, can sometimes lead to an expansion of the collection. Do you find that a lot of people who come into your store have been using typewriters their whole lives, or are there people who, for some reason, want to start with one now? It's really a mix. You know, we see people who are coming in uh, who've been using typewriters for decades. Um, and this is a key tool um, that, that facilitates their work. Um, they could be a writer, it could be in an office environment. Um, we get people who are quite young who come in looking for their first typewriter. Sometimes, um, particularly around the holidays, we might have people who are 10, 12 years old coming in with their parents looking for their very first typewriter. Uh, maybe they saw one around the house that uh, had been their grandparents and they really took an interest in this. So. There's quite a range, but I think it provides a, a very different writing and thinking uh, process for people. So we spend more and more time in front of our digital devices, our phones, our computers, and I think sometimes people are really seeking a different experience where they're not bombarded with no notifications, um, where they, they have this thing in front of them that does one thing and it does it well. And sometimes it could be uh, a bit of nostalgia. Sometimes people will come in and the sound of the bell, the sound of the keys um, evokes a lot for people. And I think, you know, it's a very special, uh, distinctive experience. That was WFUV's Abby Delk. Let's head over to sports with WFUV's Miles Grossman. The MLB announced that the Mets' Pete Alonzo will be participating in the Home Run Derby this weekend. The NLE slugger will surely be the favorite as he searches for the three-peat. All-Star Weekend is coming up. What can people expect to see? Well, Madison, All-Star Weekend will get underway this Friday from Los Angeles, and it's always a lot of fun when the biggest names in baseball come together. But for New York baseball fans, All-Star Weekend means one thing. The dog days of summer are finally upon us. And for the New York Mets in particular, that's not a good thing. Last season, they watched their NL East division lead begin to disappear around this time, and already this year, they've watched their once-dominant lead turn into a tight 1.5-game hold atop the NL East. Okay, so what can we expect to see from the Mets before All-Star Weekend? It's definitely an important stretch. The Amazons are down in Atlanta right now for a pivotal series against the second-place Atlanta Braves. Veteran arm Chris Bassett will be on the bump for the Mets today as he looks to seal the rubber match down in Georgia. With the division lead now hanging in the balance, all matchups against their top contender in the Braves will prove to be extremely important for their playoff push. 
Now over to the association, Utah's Donovan Mitchell is reportedly back on the trading block. The New York native is rumored to possibly be on the way to the Knicks, given his urge to return home, coupled with the plethora of tradable first-round draft picks the Knicks possess. ESPN's Brian Windhorst says this deal may be, quote, inevitable. Utah is looking to build for the future with some draft picks, and the Knicks are in need of a face of the franchise. That'll do it for headlines in the world of New York sports. With WFUV Sports, I'm Miles Grossman. Thanks, Miles. WFUV's Abby Delk did a lot of reporting this week. <laughs> yes, she did. She also talked with Doris Hokane, a Brooklyn resident and founder of the 1721 Project. It's an Instagram page dedicated to educating people about Asian women that have shaped history. It's also the inspiration behind the book that Hokane is currently writing. Can you just start off by explaining what your 1721 Women Project is all about? 1721 Women is um, an Instagram archive that I started back in 2016 to shine a light on marginalized Asian women's history that's been sidelined and obscured by traditional storytelling. Now, where does that title 1721 come from? There are 17.21 million square miles on, in Asia. Um, that does not include the Pacific Islands. But I just wanted something that wasn't so obvious. But now I feel like maybe I should have named it Asian Women because it's very strong and it should be self-explanatory. But I guess I wanted to encompass the huge Asian diaspora. The home base of your project is that Instagram account. Why did you kind of go that visual route with it? I come from a visual arts background. I'm a very visual learner. So I also wanted these faces to be seen. Everyone knows what Amelia Earhart looks like. Um, I just wanted them to become mainstream. I wanted you to instantly connect with Yuri Kochiyama's face or Trinti Minha or um, Nazreen Mohamedi in school or even now as an adult going and looking through archives, there wasn't enough visuals. I feel like people connect to seeing someone's face and seeing themselves represented in a big way. Where do you go to find new subjects for the project? I have been searching for these women my whole life. <laughs> I, I was very immersed in the punk rock scene when I was a teenager. And um, I met a woman that was squatting in a warehouse where there was a punk show. And she told me to look up Yuri Kochiyama and that she would change my life. And I immediately the next day went to the public library and I looked her up and I'm 41, so Google wasn't a big thing. So I had to look into like canisters of microfiche and like go through that. I finally found an article of her and it was um, cross-referencing Malcolm X, who was one of her best friends. And from there, it just grew. And I've been collecting things since I was 16. Why does it feel important now to really start sharing all the women that you've discovered over the years with the wider uh, internet? In the past few years with um, the onset of the pandemic and the anti-Asian hate crimes, just flat out racism against Asians, um, I felt like it was time for us to not be so flat. It was time for us to show that we are not monolithic, that we are not silent, that we are loud. We've been here for so, so long. We've shaped this country. We've, you know, contributed, but we've always been seen as foreign and not belonging. And I felt like this archive was important to show Asian Americans, Asian women, that we've been here for a very long time. We've been doing the work and it's just now people are noticing, which I'm grateful for, but 
it's just a long time coming. That was WFUV's Abby Delk. And that wraps up our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Isabel Danzis. And I'm Addison Colombo. Tune in again tomorrow at 3 o'clock for your daily dose of news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and where you get your podcast.